Hey, welcome to More Than Bread. If you listen to this podcast as they drop, it's Friday for me, and I'm on a spiritual retreat with my wife, Lynn. I've been looking forward to this for a while. It'll be a time to reset and recharge, and and one of the exercises I'm looking forward to is an annual prayer of examine. Now, the prayer of examine is a discipline. It's a way of looking back over a day, or in this case, a year, And looking for the places where you've seen God at work, where you've experienced his presence, and where you've experienced his absence, what you have to be grateful for, what you're looking forward to. I know we're already in the middle of January, for some of you even later, but it's never too late to take a good look back. And, And if you'd like an exercise guide, we have one that you can download on our website at calvarysc.org, Calvary State College, calvarysc.org, slash new year, new year, one word calvarysc.org slash new year. And of course, scripture will be a significant portion of my reset and recharge. I'm going to be diving into the gospel of Matthew, the book of James, and maybe a little bit in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, one of my favorites. And and one last thing before we dive into this episode, if you've never spent a day or even a couple days, or maybe even just half a day with God, I highly recommend it. I mean, if these few moments of listening daily are worthwhile, a day with Jesus could be life-changing. And I have all sorts of resources and helps for you to do that. Just shoot me an email at dan at calvarysc.org if you're interested. dan at calvarysc.org. And I'd love to pass on some of those resources to you. So on to episode number 238. We'll go farther in Colossians 2 than in the last episode, but I'm going to start reading Um, A little bit earlier from verse 1, and I'm reading from the New International Version. I want you to know how hard, Paul says, how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And and let me just stop there and, and just say, there's a sequence here that I think is important. Encouraged in heart, united in love, full riches of complete understanding. God gets to our minds through our hearts. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, plausible arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue Continue, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through holy, hollow, excuse me, not holy, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. So in other words, my words here, it depends on human tradition, philosophies, and Demonic forces, elemental spiritual forces, rather than on Christ. Verse 9, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and and condemned us. He he took it all away, nailing it to the cross. You hear that? My words, he, he nailed every Every debt, every sin was nailed to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or even a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And when Paul says they've lost connection with the head, he means that they've lost connection with Christ. I've been using three different phrases to describe Christ, to describe Colossians, the message of Colossians, as we make our way through at least the first two chapters of Colossians. And and the, the words are nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Nothing more than Christ, for he is nothing less than God, nothing less than all, nothing less than preeminent and sovereign, the fullness of God. And of course, nothing else will satisfy our heart's desire for life like Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. In this episode, as we look at Colossians 2, again, I want to focus on that last one, the nothing else, because way too often we let something else, sometimes we let everything else, shift our focus from Jesus. And, And that's why Paul is contending for his friends, because it can be so easy to let something else divert us from the nothing else of Christ. Paul is is ultimately contending so that together we would know Christ, together we'd gain the treasure of Christ. It's all in Christ. In Jesus, Paul says, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not in Google is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not not in the core curriculum of the best seminaries of our day, or definitely not in Pastor Dan's best message is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And, And please don't consider me a heretic for saying what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't even say that in the Bible is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In fact, Jesus himself challenged some lovers of Scripture in John chapter 5 when he said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them... In them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. In other words, don't don't get me wrong, Scripture is amazing. You should fill your mind with Scripture, commit it to memory. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about, the value of, of Scripture, the words of God. But never forget where the treasure is. Never lose sight of the goal. It's Christ in him, in Christ, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul goes on and says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. No one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you've received Christ, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. In other words, Paul's saying here, in your quest for life, don't be deluded. 
Walk in Christ. Now, this is actually one of the, the mysteries of Colossians. We don't exactly know what the plausible arguments were. Or as one translation puts it, the beguiling speech. Now, everyone has an opinion, but nobody knows for sure. All we know is that someone was trying to mislead them, and their arguments sounded reasonable, sounded plausible. Although we don't know exactly what it was then. I could take a stab at what some of today's plausible arguments are. How about the more organized activities in which my kids excel, the better their life will be? It's plausible. How about the goal of life is retirement? (laughs) Every year that sounds more plausible to me. How about everyone must have a smartphone? Plausible. How about what you watch on the screen will not affect what's in your heart or what's in your mind? Plausible. But, but each of those plausible arguments might bring a delusion. For example, think of the TV show Friends, one, one of my favorite shows. Ran for 10 years between 1994 and 2004, and, and now it's one of the most popular shows in syndication. Funny, right? But not innocent, if you watched it. In fact, a survey of all 236 episodes of Friends found that the characters had a total of 85 sexual partners, and that's only counting those who appeared on the screen. See, for decades, the media has been putting forward plausible, beguiling arguments about sex. The the media normalizes the argument for unfettered sex. If we see likable characters on TV, TV having sex outside of marriage, often enough, it becomes plausible. It becomes acceptable, sometimes even desirable. Fred Fedler, author of one of the most widely used textbooks on mass media, writes, the media may constitute the most powerful education system ever known to man. <laughs> I would say that far too many of us have been discipled far more by media than by Christ. Don't be deluded by plausible arguments. Walk in Christ. Dive into the one in whom you will find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If the shaping of our lives is purely a function of force applied over time. If that's the equation, shaping of our lives equals force applied over time, then the question is what forces get the most time in our lives, right? Did you know that on average we spend seven hours, Americans spend seven hours and four minutes a day staring at a screen? Now, some of that is work. You know, so a lot of different stuff, but but let's be honest, we're being discipled by YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Netflix. I mean, how much time do we give Christ? And over time, these plausible arguments form philosophies, worldviews, cultures, filters through which we interpret life and by which we make decisions. That, that's what Paul is saying in verses 8 through 10. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world, the demonic spirits, and not according to Christ. For in him, it's in him, not not in human tradition and not in the elemental spirits of the world and not in philosophy and empty deceit. It's in him that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So don't be taken captive. Be free in Christ. So what philosophies have taken us captive today? I mean, there's some easy ones to pick out. How about consumerism? I mean, we find ourselves today in a culture that defines our relationships and actions primarily through the philosophy of consumerism, of consumption. Pete Ward writes, consumerism represents an alternative source of meaning to the Christian gospel. It's a worldview. 
What we purchase shapes our identity. I consume, therefore I am. (laughs) I mean, consumerism has shaped much of our view of the church. A Christianity Today article suggested that Jesus has been demoted from Lord to label. Christianity is just one more brand to consume. We shop for churches that will best meet our needs, and if we can't find one, why go? But what if consumerism is a philosophy that enslaves our lives? What if it's actually driven by the elemental spirits of the demonic world, a front for Satan's schemes that truly runs counter to the gospel? I mean, aren't there times when we believe that buying something will actually bring more life than serving someone? Do, do we ever view Jesus more as a label than Lord? Do we spend more time planning the perfect vacation? You, you know, I've done this. More time than we do imagining how we might love our neighbors. But Paul says, listen, you you can break free. You don't have to be captive to philosophies that suck the life out of you. And, And you know why you can be free? You can be free because the whole fullness of deity dwells in Christ and you have been filled in him. You are in him. He's the boss of all rulers and authorities. In fact, Paul says later that on the cross, God nailed our debt. And in the process, he disarmed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, talking about spiritual rulers and authorities. He put them to shame. He beat them bad. Christ wins, Christ won, Christ will win. We we don't need to be taken captive by empty philosophies. We can find our freedom in Christ because Christ is all. (laughs) Nothing more than Christ because he's nothing less than God and nothing else will satisfy. And so Paul writes in verses 16 through 18, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. They're shadows, but the substance, the sun, you could say the light is Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angel, going on in details about visions and puffed up without reason. Now, see, don't miss this. It's not only the plausible arguments and deceitful philosophies that distract us from life, divert us. Sometimes it's the religious stuff. Paul says that all the religious stuff is just a shadow of things to come, but but the substance belongs to Christ. All our liturgy, all our religion, tradition, and rules, just a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And what happens when you step into the shadow? When you step into the shadow, you know you're close to the substance, but don't forget the goal. Don't settle for shadows. Embrace the substance. Christ is the heart of heaven and the goal of living. Christ is everything. He's the treasure. So let me point us again in the direction of the treasure. How do we keep from being deluded by plausible arguments and deceived by empty philosophies and and, and content with shadows? How do we go about seeking the treasure of Christ? Listen again to Paul's words. The substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body, the church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, this is huge. See, there were people in the church at Coloss who were big into fasting and the simple life and supernatural experiences, but they were missing it because they weren't holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, the church, nourished and knit together, grows with a growth that's from God. 
Now, you might expect me to tell you that we need to keep our focus on the head, which is Christ. And we do. We do. We do. (laughs) Hold fast. But you know, the more I studied these words, the more I saw that there was at least some emphasis on the body, which is the church. It's the body that grows with a growth that's from God, and it's nourished by what each part adds. And of course, the body is intimately connected to the head. In fact, I don't know which picture is more disturbing in my mind, a headless body or a bodiless head. See, part of seeking the treasure of Christ is loving his body. We need to love his body. We need to love the church. See, I think one of the plausible arguments that many of us have been deluded by is that we can love Jesus without loving the church, like we can love the head without loving the body. I mean, you hear it all the time. I hear it from Christians. I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I'm not into religion, just relationship. Don't have to go to church. I can be with Jesus anywhere. All I need is the head. (laughs) And and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying we can't or shouldn't critique the way church is done. And I'm definitely not saying that it's wrong, that we aren't in search of new expressions of the church. I am. We are. In fact, I'm doing a podcast with my friend Terry Walling on new expressions of the church, unlikely nomads. But there is a difference between the critique of someone who loves the church, loves the body of Christ, and someone who doesn't. Let me put it this way. The church is also called the bride of Christ. And I'll just be honest with you. If you come up to me and you want to tell me every negative thing you can think about my my bride, well, first of all, it'll be a short conversation because there ain't much. But pretty quickly, I'll politely ask you to stop. And if you don't, I'll probably just walk away. And then if you follow me or I find out you've made it your joy to badmouth her to others, I'll probably find you and beat the snot out of you. <laughs> The the church is the bride of Christ. It's not that we're beautiful or perfect. Man, there is a lot of work. There is a lot of work. Can I say that again? There is a lot of work that needs to be done on us. But man, even though we're not beautiful or perfect, we are loved. Jesus is passionate about his bride. See, there's a difference between the critique that comes from those who have hardened their hearts toward his bride and those who love his bride. One speaks with tears, and one speaks with glee. Let me say that again. There's a difference between the critique that comes from those who have hardened their hearts toward his bride and those who love his bride. One speaks with tears, and one speaks with glee. Do you love his body? It'll be hard to find the treasure of Christ if you don't love his body. I I cannot fully grasp the wonder of Christ if my heart is not knit to your heart. My life will not be fully shaped by the wisdom of Jesus if my heart is not knit to your heart within the body of Christ. I will not be able to think like Christ if I'm not loved by you. I need you and you need me to fully know Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the people who love your body. God, thank you for the people who bring loving critique to your body. God, we we pray for revival in in the church, and we can't pray for revival if, if we don't actually believe that something has died. And yet, Jesus, would you give us your love for your church, your love for your body, your love for your bride? Would you help us to to realize that we can't love you without loving your church, without loving your body, without loving your bride? God, I pray for new expressions of your church to to come, (laughs) 
I, I pray that that we would see your church be the bride that that brings a smile to your face. But you know, Jesus, for that to happen, you need to knit our hearts together. You need to take out the defense and, and the division and the disunity. You, you need to get our eyes off of political kingdoms, and you need to knit our hearts to each other and to you. And God, I pray, Jesus, I pray with all my heart that you would do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.